Let's get after it. If you have a Bible, let's go Galatians 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you if you'd like to turn open that one. Galatians chapter 3 is where we'll be. Uh, hopefully not spend a lot of time this morning. we we'll get over there uh, and get some baptizing starting. Um, this morning we've got five baptisms. Very excited about it. Uh, baptisms are always one of my favorite Sundays here at the church. Uh, it's very central to who we are as a church, why we do what we do. Um, and so it's easy, I think, to lose sight of our goal as a church, to get comfortable, to get in a routine, uh, and to forget um, that we are about making disciples. I mean, that's our mission, making disciples, making disciples. Um, and so baptism, or, or this act of immersing, uh, immersing someone in the water and bringing them up out of it, uh, is very central to that. It's very central to making disciples. And so it's kind of a weird deal. I mean, if you're honest, uh, Christians put someone underwater and then bring them up. I will tell you, we've gotten less weird over the years. Uh, the early church actually did baptisms in the nude. Uh, and so the, the baptism, as people were like, oh no. Yeah, they would do it in the nude, and then they would get up. They would separate men, women, and children, and then they'd get up, and you'd get like a new robe on, like your new. So all that to say, it's not as weird as it used to be. Um, there's a lot to be said about going back to the, how the early church did certain things. Uh, but I don't think we have volunteers here this morning. Uh, so it's weird. I mean, we put it down in the water. We put someone in the water. We bring them up out of it. And, and at the center of our faith says that that is a declaration of what we believe, of who we follow, who we trust, where our faith is. Um, and what I want to do this, this morning, um, just real quickly out of Galatians 3, is just kind of prepare us for baptism, what it means, what it stands for. Uh, and then how we, we celebrate and worship um, during that act. So Galatians 3, uh, we'll pick up in verse 23. Galatians 3, 23. I invite you to read this with me. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You have here three main characters in this, this little passage here. Um, you have Abraham, you have um, Christ Jesus, the Messiah Jesus, and then you have those who are his, those who have been baptized into him, those who through faith have become sons of God. And so what I want us to do is just look in turn at three quick stories that I think will help frame um, baptism for us. The first story is this guy Abraham. Um, God comes to a man named Abram at the time. Later he would get the name Abraham. It would be added on a little bit. And God comes to him out of the middle of nowhere and makes a promise to him. Now Abraham, this is happening in Genesis 12. Abraham is living in a world that is slowly but surely spiraling into more and more and more darkness. Uh, so if you remember the story, if you grew up in Sunday school, Genesis 1, a good God creates a good world. And it's rhythmic and beautiful and things work the way they're supposed to. And then in Genesis 3, humans rebel against God. We leave him. We decide our own way is better. And just logically, if you work this out, what happens when human beings leave a good God? Well, there's only bad things to be found. And indeed, that's what happens. Death enters into creation. Pain, suffering, all these things enter into creation. And it starts to spiral very quickly in the story, in fact. So in Genesis 4, one chapter after the fall, you have the first murder. 
human beings decide that it would be a good idea to kill one another. Then in Genesis 6, you have this absurd story where God looks down on creation as sin has kind of spread out over everybody, and he's sorry that he made them. And he, he sends a flood to kill almost everybody. He, he saves a family. In Genesis 11, um, human beings in pride and um, just kind of a false sense of the world around them decide to build a tower that would reach up to heaven. And the, the hopes of doing this would be that they would get to heaven and take over. They would take God's spot on the throne. And, and God looks at them and goes, this is what you've decided to do. Creation is spiraling out of control. So Abram, Abraham is living in a world in Genesis 12 that's experiencing the depths of all that's wrong with creation that you and I still experience to this day. When a loved one around us dies of cancer or maybe struggles through cancer for years and years and years and years. When we hear of abuse and oppression, pain and suffering. When we're reminded daily by the world around us that death has the final say, it seems. We're living in a world that's not as God intended it. And so it was Abram when God comes to him in Genesis 12. And, and God comes to Abram and he makes him a promise. In Genesis 12 he says, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you, Abram, with no family, no kids, no sons or daughters. I'm going to make you into a nation. And I'm going to bless your offspring. I'm going to bless them. And somehow through them the whole world will be blessed. And so God's reaction to creation spinning out of control is not to destroy it or not to abandon it, but instead he comes to Abraham and makes him a promise. This is the promise Paul is talking about here. If you are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? I will bless your people and through them the whole world will be blessed. This promise is the turning point of the, the biblical story. This is God saying, I will undo the effects of sin of the fall I will bring my people Abraham's offspring into a new state of existence where there's no death there's no pain there's no suffering there's just new creation there's just life as God intended it to be and so this started put in motion a plan that went for years and years and years and years and years where the people of Israel um, Abraham's physical descendants were trying to figure out what this was going to look like how would God bring them through to this new state of existence, to this salvation, this redemption? And then how would he use them to accomplish this purpose? And that brings us right up to the second story. That's the first story. God comes to Abram in a world that's spiraling out of control and he makes him a promise. The second story happens a long time later when a, a young Jewish man starts a traveling ministry. And he goes around on preaching and healing. And his, his message, this is a, a man named Jesus, his message is the kingdom of God is here. The reign and rule of God is here now. It's happening in me and through me. That all that God has promised, so think back again to the promise, Genesis 12, it's now happening. I am bringing in God's salvation, his redemption. I am undoing the effects of the fall. I am bringing redemption and salvation for God's people. It's happening through me. And then you have a few years of his ministry where he um, goes around and enacts this out. Uh, symbolically, prophetically, he uh, casts out demons. He heals people. These are signs. This is what he's doing with his life. This is the kingdom coming in and diseases are leaving. Demons are being cast out. Dead people are being raised. Sins are being forgiven. Jesus claims authority to forgive and to restore 
like the woman John chapter 8 who's caught in adultery and he says go your sins are not counted against you go sin no more and his mission the kingdom of God coming through him in him it culminates when he reaches Jerusalem he's arrested and he's killed he's hung on a cross and he dies there a criminal's death um, to the, the Roman symbol of authority and power and it's a tragic, brutal, bloody story. And then three days later, his disciples, all of his followers, have, have lost hope. They're confused. They're abandoned. And then the same Jesus who was killed raises. He's resurrected. He was once fully and completely dead, and now he's fully and completely alive again. And this was, to the Christians, to the earliest followers, a sign that his death was not a loss. It wasn't a defeat. But instead, what was happening on the cross and then through his resurrection was all of God's promises being fulfilled. And so they would come to, to worship him and to sing songs about him and to proclaim that his death paid the price for our sins. So what was happening on the cross is that Jewish man who had been announcing the kingdom of God, as he died, it was God himself, God in the flesh, incarnate, the Son Dying, taking on the full weight of our sins. Taking on the full weight of all that we have brought into creation. And then passing through it. Resurrected by God's hand into this new life. And this started really a, a revolutionary movement that turned the whole world upside down very quickly. I mean, it was not a very long time till even the Roman Empire was completely changed by it. And it's a movement that keeps happening to this day. And at its heart, again, it's this thing that we call baptism. It's been there from the start. That we take men and women and, and even children and we put them in the water and we take them out. Jesus commands it. You, you have the verse here in your worship guide in Matthew 28. After his resurrection, right before he ascends, this really last charge to the disciples is go and make disciples. Go announce the victory that I've won. Go announce salvation that I've accomplished. And then baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Eugene Peterson has a, a great quote. He says, Baptism definitively places our unique and personal name in the company of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is our identity. This is who we are. Go baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is this way of saying that you, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done... You are now in company with God himself. You now share in the life and salvation and glory that God is, that Christ has accomplished, the Spirit is imparting to us. And in Romans 6, we have um, really maybe the, the most extended passage on baptism. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism has all these different symbols and meanings to it. One is the washing of sins, the being purified. We sang about it, you've washed me white as snow. But the main one from scripture is that in baptism, as we go into the water and come out, we're united we're joined with what happened to Jesus as he died and rose again. We're baptized into death with him and then raised into the newness of life that he 
has and now experiences. And he writes, says, in baptism we die with the Messiah, Christ, and come through to share in his risen life. That spectacular, unique event that lies at the heart of the Christian story happens to us. Not just at the end of our lives and beyond, but while we are continuing to live in the present time, through the water, into the new life of belonging to Jesus. This first story, God comes in a dark world spiraling out of control and makes a promise to Abraham. The second story, he fulfills this promise in the work and person, the life, the death of Jesus. And then there's this third character here. There's this third person. The one who is Christ. The one who belongs to him. The one who, the text says here, has faith. Who believes. Who puts their trust in him. The one who is baptized into him. And so what's happening, our third story, is from that time on, even up till today, in 2011, in Sugarland and Houston, the greater Houston area, all over the world, people are still having their eyes open. People are still having their hearts open to the glory of Christ. People are still, to this day, recognizing that they have sinned and turned away from God, that they have played a part in the evil that has invaded creation, but that God in His love and, and forgiveness and grace has, has died for them, has made a way out for them. And to this day, men and women in different circumstances and different situations are putting their faith in Him, are saying that we trust in Him, we are His, He defines us, He owns us, our lives are centered around Him. And then they go into the water. They're put down into the water and brought back up. They're identified with him. To this day, this is happening. To this day, we've got five people who are finding their name in the story. We're finding their place as people who are realizing that from the beginning of time, God has been rescuing and saving and forgiving. And it continues to work out to this day here at this church, here in this state, in this country, in this world, as we recognize our sin, his forgiveness, and we decide to follow him. So in just a, a few minutes, we'll um, get in the water together, not all of us, um, but a few of us. Uh, and we'll ask, what's your confession? Uh, what, are you, what are you saying here in this water? And, and you're going to hear primarily this phrase, Jesus is Lord. He's king. He reigns. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It's arrived through him. It's this claim that we are Christ. We are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God has forgiven us. He's given us grace. He's set us into his life, into his kingdom. He's given us his mission, his purpose. And this is why we, why we clap. This is why we celebrate. This is why we worship. Because he's, he's doing what he said he would do. And many of us have found that happening in our own hearts. Most of us at some point have been baptized. Have made this confession of faith. And today we celebrate more brothers and sisters um, obeying Christ's command given in Matthew 28 to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's a sign to the world. It's, a, it's a, a sign to everyone around us that He is Lord. 
Let his grace, his gospel, the good news is advancing throughout creation. And that men and women are called to, to fall on their knees and, and follow with their trust in him. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to pray in just a minute and we're going to take off. Uh, there are directions in the hallway. Uh, so please pick up one of those uh, and you can get over there. It's just a few minutes away, uh, if that even. Uh, we'll get over there. Now here's what we want to do. We want to start the baptisms as soon as possible. Uh, and so... Just get on over there, and we'll get things started. We're going to do the baptisms, and then we're going to have a, a meal together. And so we do communion every week here as a church. Um, we usually have a piece of bread and, and dip it in the um, grape juice. But originally, again, the early church, communion was a meal to them. I mean, it was eating together and fellowshipping together. And so today we um, will have that meal together as our communion. Uh, and so we'll do the baptisms, we'll pray over the meal, and then we'll eat and just enjoy each other's company. Um, so I'll pray for us. Um, we'll try to get over there as soon as possible. Uh, and there's directions again on the table out there. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. I pray that you would uh, open up our eyes to the grandness of what you are doing in creation, of what you are doing in us and around us. I pray that this would be a time of worship and celebration and, and even challenge to us to continue to, to go and make disciples, to go baptize in your name, to go teach, to observe all that you've commanded. We thank you for your cross. We thank you that in our sin and in our darkness, you did not decide to destroy us or abandon us, but instead you yourself came and died for us. When we say today and always that we are yours, our life is no longer defined by us, by our sin, or even our accomplishments, but it's defined by you and your work of salvation on the cross. We follow you. We love you. We trust you. Be with us. Guide us. Shape us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.